reading is from Matthew chapter 28, 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 28, 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know you are seeking Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So ends the reading of God's word. Children ages three through kindergarten are now invited to proceed to the little landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. <clears throat> wow, what a wonderful worship service together. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray once again and ask for God's help as we turn to his word. <clears throat> Father, make the power of your word surge forward through the foolish vessel of this sermon and my efforts to proclaim it. Make the people here see you as you stand forth from the word. Help me to make it clear and to proclaim your resurrection, not just this Resurrection Sunday, but every day and always. For your reign and your power and your life affects everything we do and everything we are and how we view everything that happens around us. Nothing is untouched by your resurrection. Speak now through the power of your word in Matthew 28. Speak now to draw the lost to faith in Christ, to encourage and strengthen weary believers, to give direction to those who feel confused, to wipe away guilt and shame for those who are struggling with it and replace it with joy and with freedom, to give white-hot worship, bow the knee, fall to the ground, grab Jesus' ankles kind of Joyful worship to every one of us. For you are worthy of that and infinitely more. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central truth of the Christian gospel. All Jesus did in dying upon the cross is certified to be true and powerful because God raised Jesus from the dead. All the apostles, all that the early church believed, all that they lived and proclaimed and died for, the truth that Jesus taught and proclaimed is certified by the fact that he rose from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, everything biblical Christianity teaches is true, and it's worthy of you risking your entire life and reputation and eternity on it. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then nothing of his promises are true we are most futile and foolish in our thinking 
and should not follow him at all. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, the scripture says, With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The grace of God is upon the believers when they speak of the testimony of the resurrected Christ, and they are willing to go out and be lied about, to be arrested and brutalized, to be imprisoned and murdered, to have their families taken from them, all because the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that everything he said is true. Are you willing to risk your entire life and future and that of your family for eternity on the truth of the resurrection? All of heaven now worships the lamb who was slain. The only way you can worship a lamb who was slain is if the lamb came back to life again. The Lamb, the Lord of glory, lives in heaven and all of heaven worships Him now, which is why all of earth worships Him who love and know Him. And one day, all human beings, even those who reject and marginalize Him now, will bow the knee, though through anger and frustration. If you ask artificial intelligence or something called chat GPT, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ true? You know what it says? I am not programmed to make judgments about religion. It is only a matter of faith. And I thought, what a computer coward. One of the clearest evidences for historical fact we have in all of history is the fact that Jesus Christ was born, lived, died, and rose again. The apostles and the early church and Christians around the world don't die for a story or a myth or a mere narrative. It's true because thoughtful, kind, godly people are made by it. It's not that thoughtful, kind, and godly people gravitate to it. Broken, shameful sinners gravitate to it, and they're transformed into godly, kind, quiet, thoughtful self-sacrificing, loving people. The evidence of the church around the world and throughout history and the evidence of Christ in, at work in your heart right now and the evidence of Christ at work in believers around the world today, even if someone marches in to set their building on fire, is evidence that the power of the resurrection is true. It's self-evidently clear that this Jesus wasn't lying. He wasn't merely a lunatic. And he wasn't seeking to grab for power or wealth or influence. He was, in fact, God. God, the Son, fully man, fully God, and dying on the cross for sins, only to rise again by the power of God. It's worthy of an entire life of worship. It's worthy of bowing down, hands around his ankles, full-hearted, deep-reaching, shame-evicting, sin-forgiving, future-brightening worship that overflows into authentic witness. If you've never had the joy of sharing your faith with the Lord Jesus Christ, don't figure out a more clever way to witness. Figure out why you don't worship at His feet. The worship of the church always overflows in authentic, costly, sweet, and compelling witness. 
You see that here in Matthew 28, the passage that Larry just read. I want to show you three beholds. The word behold, there are three of them in this passage. Every time the Bible uses the word behold, it means open up your eyes and open up the eyes of your heart to see a reason to worship Jesus. Stop, look with everything you've got and see here the glorious thing that you're tempted to miss if you read right over it. So it says behold. Hold this inside your head and inside your heart and savor it and enjoy it and worship Christ because of it. There are three beholds in this passage. Here they are. First, behold the angel of the Lord. Why? To feel the gravity of God's glory at the resurrection. Second, we behold the empty tomb. Why? To see the joy of Christ's victory at his resurrection. Third, we behold the risen Christ. Why? To taste the goodness of his grace in his resurrection. Three beholds. You'll see them as we walk through this. You might remember, if you were here with us Friday night, or you might remember, if you've read Matthew 27, that there are two Marys. I just love these two women. They were standing Friday night, Friday afternoon, in the darkness, looking at their master, their Lord, their friend, their teacher, hanging on a cross, having been brutalized. They watched him as he spoke his last words, as he, as he heaved on the cross to find air to speak painfully the final words that he spoke, and we looked at that Friday night, and there they were. It wasn't even appropriate to talk about crucifixion with women. They should not even have been there. By all normal expectation, women would be hiding their faces and running elsewhere, but here's, here's two women, maybe among others, two Marys, and they were standing there and they were watching. One Mary had had seven demons removed from her by Jesus and his healing power. Such power in the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and she must have been wondering, who, who's winning here? Do the demons gloat because Satan came into Judas? Judas betrayed to the Pharisees Jesus so that he would be arrested, brutalized, lied about, hung on the cross. Are the demons winning? Are the ones that that used to haunt me and torment me and rob me of my sleep and my will to live and make me ashamed of who I was, made me feel so dirty every hour of every day, those that, that he got rid of for me, are they coming back to get back at him? Is that who's winning? Wondered Mary. What she's about to do here in this passage with the other Mary, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, is to take spices out of honor and go with their eyes so drained of tears, their faces just so moistened by their tears, the sorrow, the loss, they're going to mourn. They're going to go put spices at the tomb to honor the Lord and their teacher and master, whom they love so much, but he's dead. He died Friday night. They put him in Joseph of Arimathea's grave. We know where the grave is. He's inside there. The, the stone was rolled in front of it. He's dead. All we can do is go and mourn at his grave. That's where we find Mary and Mary. Now look with me to verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, they wouldn't have gathered those spices on Saturday, the Sabbath. They would have gotten up early in the morning when it was free to work as a Jew and gathered the spices, probably 75 pounds worth together. Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Did you see the behold? That's the first behold. This earthquake is caused by an angel. He comes down from the Lord and he rolls the stone back and then he sits on it. It says his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Here's the two women encountering not a quiet grave where they can come and weep with their spices and mourn the loss of Jesus, but they're encountering the ground shaking and a mighty angel of the Lord moving a stone back from the entrance of the tomb. And they can only imagine, what in the world is he doing that for? It's going to smell. And they were surely afraid. The guards standing outside also saw this angel whose appearance was like lightning and whose clothing was white as snow. That means the appearance of the angel of the Lord was like light as hot as 50,000 degrees, five times that of the heat of the sun and carrying 10 billion watts. No wonder the guards were frozen in their fear. No wonder Mary and Mary were afraid. The angels of the Lord, Gabriel and others, attend Jesus and his ministry throughout the Old Testament and the New. The angel of the Lord, through Daniel, prophesied that Christ would come as the inaugurating final kingdom of God. The angel of the Lord was present at Jesus' birth to minister to Mary and Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth. The angel of the Lord was present ministering to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just days before, and the angel of the Lord will be present at Jesus' ascension 40 days after his resurrection. The angel of the Lord signals God by his mighty, glorious power has settled like a mighty rock heavy down upon this resurrection event. Fear indeed is suitable and fitting Verse 4, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. How appropriate it is when the gravity of the glory of God settles that people who reject the glory of God, who despise God and despise Christ, are struck with fear. How fitting and appropriate. How suitable and appropriate that these guards, who now have failed at their job to keep no one from stealing the body of Jesus, see the stone rolled away and it's empty. Oops, yikes, we're in trouble. The kind of trouble they faced was probably a flogging unto death for both of them. But they would have also been terrified and afraid at this really bright guy's clothing, who's now demonstrating the sovereign quietness and glory of God by sitting on the very stone that he just rolled away. But if they would have offered one moment's reflection, they would have realized that the thing to be really afraid of is the fact that the one who said he was going to rise from the dead is actually gone and he rose from the dead. The one who said, I'm king, and you all in your cohorts mocked me for being a false king, I've proven I am king and I've risen from the dead. Now everything is different. The universe has a new master, a new king, a new sovereign, and a new lord. And everything is different. So you can go back, soldiers, to your Roman overlords who are going to punish you. But if you trust in the king that you just saw his empty tomb, you will pass from this life to the next. Let the whole world, 
Let everyone in this city and across this nation and who opens their mouth on Twitter and Instagram and email and on websites and in podcasts, who opens their mouth from pulpits and on conference and Congress floors, who opens their mouth on media, who opens their mouth to lead armies or, or politics or business, or medicine, or education. Let anyone who opens their mouth and says that Jesus Christ is not Lord of glory, let them stand in frozen fear. For the glory of the Lord has settled powerfully down upon this resurrection event. And for a time, for a short and brief time, those whose fear is a grip of fear that this God is coming for them and his fury and wrath is just and right and infinite, for a brief period of time, let them hear the invitation to turn and repent. Isn't this passage and the fear of these soldiers a gracious call to everyone in the sound of my voice, everyone who's Tuning in by live stream, everyone who's reading their Bible, maybe privately and quietly on Easter Sunday 2023, that there's yet time for hardened soldiers to turn away from their hardness and fall flat before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and be saved. Astonishing fear makes perfect sense in the heart of those spiritually dead. Do not remain spiritually dead. The second behold, behold the empty tomb to see the joy of Christ's glory comes in verses 5 through 8. The angel of the Lord doesn't even address the guards. Did you notice that? He doesn't even talk to the guards. He speaks rather to the women. Here in verses 5 through 7, I want you to see the behold and how it supplies joy in Christ's victory to Mary and Mary. Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, there it is, behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And my version says, see, but it's the same word, behold, a second time, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Now, if you had a pencil in your Bible, you'd circle fear in verse 7 there. They had fear as they're running to go tell the disciples. And up at the beginning of verse 5, the angel said, don't be afraid. Are they disobeying the angel? We'll see in a moment. Twice in verse 7, we have two beholds, this glorious Greek word that says, open your eyes, see, and be ready to worship what you are to behold. There's this glorious reality here that Christ's victory and the empty tomb produces joy in the hearts of all who look into it. Joy in the hearts of all who look into it. Why does it do that? Well, the angel gives the word for, and then five reasons why it produces joy. He says, I, don't be afraid, for reasons, and then he gives five. Here they are. One, I know, I'm the angel in heaven, representing all of heaven, and I know that you're seeking Jesus. I know what your heart is, Mary. I know what your heart is, Mary. God knows what your heart is in this room. He knows why you're here on Easter Sunday morning. He knows your heart. He knows if you're seeking him or not. He knows you fully and perfectly and flawlessly. He knows you like he knows them. That's one reason why there's tremendous joy. The God who raises his son from the dead has knowledge of your heart and my heart, and he knows how to draw us to himself. And he knows if our hearts are coming eager to worship him as these two Marys surely were. 
Second reason he gives is that Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified. This is the gospel. This is the gospel message. He was crucified on the cross. And it wasn't just another man dying by Roman brutality. It was the Son of God, the Son of Man, dying to bear our sins. Isaiah 53, 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. That's a reference to the resurrection. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Praise his name. And he shall bear their iniquities. If you're in Christ, you have no guilt or shame before God the Father. If you're hanging on to any guilt and shame, get rid of it. It's not belonging to your soul anymore. And if you wonder where the righteousness of Christ is, if you're a believer, his righteousness dwells upon you and within you. He's given it to you by faith. That's a second reason for joy at the empty tomb. A third reason for joy at the empty tomb is that Jesus said this would happen. He prophesied it. The angel said, just as he said, meaning every promise Jesus made is confirmed and certified by his resurrection from the dead. One Puritan preacher, John Boyes, says this, the resurrection of Christ is the amen of all of his promises. So do not fear, have joy. Reason number four, come see the place where he lay. See with your own eyes where the dead God-man breathed again. See and believe, do not fear, only trust. He walked out of the tomb before the stone was rolled away. You have that in your mind, right? Jesus is laying on the slab. Boom, 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 boom. His heart starts beating after three days. He takes a breath. And all of a sudden, he gets up. His body moves through the clothing, which lies there, John tells us in John 20, and he moves through the rock. The only reason the stone is rolled away is for all of us to come in and look at it and see how it's empty. What a kindness. What a joy. The fifth and final reason that creates joy and removes fear is he shows us himself. He means to meet with us. He's not going to a quiet place to pray. He's not going for a long walk. He's not even going back to his immediate family. He wants to meet with Mary and Mary and all the rest of the disciples. He wants to see you. The instruction of the angel is, go to meet him in Galilee. He's not here. He's going to meet you there. So don't be afraid. Look at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Now I asked you before, did they disobey the command to do not fear? Verse 8, they have fear and great joy. Back in verse 5, he said, do not fear. Don't be like these frozen soldiers who are fearful for God and his harm against them or others' harm against them. Don't be like that. You see, there are two different kinds of fear in the Bible, and you must keep the two as far separate as you possibly can. One kind of fear dishonors God, runs away from him, and is afraid of his harming you. Lots and lots of people regard God this way. They regard God with disdain, and they want to run away from him. They don't want anything to do with him, like the people Moses gathered around the Mount Sinai when lightning and thunder were crashing. They said, we're afraid. You go talk to him for us. We don't want to go near him. Ah, but there's another kind of fear. The kind of fear that's mingled with joy. You know the kind of fear that loves God, wants to come near him and be like him, wants to delight in him and know him and bring all your pain and problems to him. That kind of fear delights in God, honors God, glorifies God. The other dishonors God. 
They're as far away as they could be from each other, and the two fears are in this paragraph. The angel says, don't have unholy fear that keeps you away from God all the time, and you only go near to him as little as you must. Rather, let Mary and Mary's kind of delighting fear that makes you run fast toward him. We're going to go get the disciples in Jerusalem, and we're going to go to Galilee, and we're all going to meet Jesus who's risen from the dead. That kind of fear is always mingled with joy. She departed, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. In Exodus 20, 20, when Moses speaks to the people, he puts both kinds of fear in one verse. Listen carefully. Here's Moses correcting the people. Do not fear, Moses says, for God has come to test you. What's God going to test? He's going to test what kind of fear they have. Do not fear, for God has come to test you. Why? That the fear of him may be before you. Okay. I'm tracking with you, Moses. One kind of fear God's getting rid of. The other kind of fear he wants before us. Why? That you may not sin. May the miracle of believing fear rise in your heart right now while you're beholding the empty tomb and the glory of the angels sitting on the stone. While your eyes are looking at Christ as he stands forth from this passage in Matthew 28, and as you thought of him while we were singing those songs and praying those prayers, and as his voice is louder in your ears and head right now than mine or any others. Mary and Mary feared God, and it was a believing fear to go toward him because they loved him and it was mingled with joy and they were running back to tell the disciples, surely the disciples who were cowering, their master, their Lord, their teacher, the one who they had believed in had utterly disappointed them. Was it because they had utterly disappointed him? He was brutalized, arrested, Moments after they ate the Last Supper with him, and they couldn't imagine even staying with him and risking being arrested as well. So every one of them abandoned him. Is that what we're in trouble for? You have no idea how many people I talk to, and I remember this feeling myself. I'm not condemning anyone. This is my own testimony, as it's yours as well. Who look at a holy God, and they say, I simply can't understand how a holy God would have anything to do with a person like me who has done so many evil and wicked things, even when I know better, and has had so many unholy things done against me. I'm simply too far broken and profaned and unworthy to be loved by him. That's what every one of you are struggling with right now. So when Mary and Mary, broken as they are, Go back to the disciples who themselves are broken, fearful, anxious, afraid. And they are going to tell them, Jesus is risen. Which at first probably doesn't make them feel any better. Is he mad? <laughs> he wants to meet us in Galilee. Oh, here it comes. That brings us to the third behold. Behold the risen Jesus to taste the goodness of his grace. Look at verses 9 and 10, and behold, there it is again, the third one, Jesus met them. 
Huh, that's a surprise. They just take off a few steps of obedience. Ten steps down the road toward Jerusalem to get the disciples, and then we're going to Galilee. And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, Greetings. Kairete in Greek comes from the Greek word based on charis for grace. And it means, in practical expression, grace that brings you joy. That's what the risen Christ says to broken people. Greetings with grace that brings you joy. And when they heard the one who had every right to destroy them and start over with a whole new band of disciples, greeting them with a greeting of grace that brings them joy, they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. What that means very, very plainly is in the original verb, they didn't just come to him, they lunged at him. As soon as you see his face, his shining, never dying again, gloriously resurrected, beautiful, forgiving, sin having wiped away, reigning in power and glory, absolutely no disappointment in you face, you come and lunge toward him. Then it says, they took hold of his feet, which literally says they humbled themselves to grasp his feet. They grasped at his feet. And they worshipped him. They bowed before him to adore him. Can you imagine the heaving of their laughter and joy that they are holding and, and releasing as they're bowed before him, holding onto his ankles and worshiping the actual risen ankles of the risen Christ? Luke records a similar experience in Luke 24, 52, and the disciples, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. This giddy, trembling laughter from the core of their being that Jesus is alive and they've got their hands on his ankles is the most beautiful picture of Resurrection Sunday morning where they came with their hands smelling like grave spices ready to mourn and now they're holding on to the ankles of the one who saved their souls. And they're doing it in public, such bold worship. They forget happily that the Romans just crucified him and that the Romans despised him and that the Jewish leaders put the Romans up to it and would just as soon wipe out every disciple. So these two women, along with the rest of the disciples, have targets on their back because they're going to be hated just as Jesus was hated. And we too will be hated as Jesus was hated if we also in public worship before him. We take our lives in our hands as we worship openly and publicly, which is why it's so very rare. And yet at the very moment we lay our lives in his hands. Look what Jesus says to them. And these are not just his instructions. These are the power to make his instructions come to pass. Verse 10, do not be afraid. There's a theme here, isn't there? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Jesus jumps out on the road while they're going back to get the disciples. They're already on their plan to go get the disciples and go to Galilee. And Jesus, in his kindness and in his mercy and in his grace, he jumps out and he says, Karete, grace that brings you joy. And they worship him and then he says, do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. No one's going to harm you but what I have sifted before it comes to you. Do not be afraid. I'm not going to be destroyed by anything. I've destroyed the last enemy death, so nothing else can destroy me. Do not be afraid. I'm not going to condemn or judge you. I didn't come back to condemn or judge you. I call you my brothers, and I want to meet with you in Galilee, the place of my grace. Do not be afraid. The same thing the angel said to them, now the Lord says to them, He speaks powerful grace to them just by his presence, by his shining face, by his greeting, and by calling the disciples his brothers. Now Mary and Mary know exactly what it's going to be like when they can get those cowering, fearful men back in Jerusalem out to Galilee to meet with Jesus. It's going to be a sweet and glorious reunion. Even though the last time he saw them, they all ran away from him in shame and abandonment. You know that no matter whatever sin you've committed, You coming to Jesus right now today, no matter what sin you've ever committed, he will receive you with karete, grace that brings you joy. Do not let my voice be the only one you hear. Ponder and look with beholding eyes what you see in this passage. That Jesus Christ welcomes you to come to him. And this risen Christ wants to meet with you in the gracious place of Galilee. The place of salvation. The place of welcome. The place of his warm and full embrace where you can see him and believe in him as the disciples first did. Whatever command the Lord gives you from his word, no matter what command you're hearing from the Lord by His Spirit today, take those first steps and find out how quickly He surprises you with His joy. Greetings! He will meet you in just the very first steps of your obedience. Behold the angel of the Lord, you'll see the gravity of God's glory in His white-hot raiment and his moving of the stone. Behold the empty tomb, and you see with joy Christ's victory over death. Behold the risen Christ, and you have tasted the grace that he supplies and offers to all who come to him. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from England in the 1800s, said, Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. I risk my whole eternity on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you risked your whole eternity on the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I have. Praise the Lord, I have. If you can say, I have with me, say it out loud. Let's say it together. One, two, three. I have. Now let's go transform the world with the good news of the resurrection. There are cowardly, cowardly, fearful, trembling, shame-filled, guilty people who need to know that Jesus Christ is risen and risen to save. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Matthew 28. Thank you for the power of your resurrection in our lives. Thank you for the testimony that you've given to us. Thank you that you have invited us to come and, as it were, grab your ankles and bow before you with humble yet exalted joy and belly laughter and trembling. And our spices are now the celebration of your life, not the mourning of your death. And we are, of all people on the world, in the world to be regarded as fools, but we're happy before you to be regarded as wise, wise unto salvation, because we have seen with the eyes of our heart what you've called us to behold, that you are alive and well and ruling in heaven and calling the lost to be saved 
just as you've done for us. Be exalted in our singing now in our worship. Be exalted in conversations thereafter and in mealtimes that we enjoy. Be exalted in the rest of this Easter Resurrection Sunday 2023 and the week and weeks, months, and years to follow. Then come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, come quickly that we might see you face to face. In your great and precious name we pray. Amen. Stand with me.